Good morning. Real quick, let's, uh, before I jump in and do some introductions or anything, let's stand for the reading of the word. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. We'll go ahead and read this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that, is the, if that is God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> good morning. Like Char said, my name is John. Uh, and yeah, my wife Naomi over here. We, uh, we have five kids. You may have seen them. They were like dancing all over in the lobby out there this morning. It's like an hour and a half drive up here, so they were a little bit stir-crazy, the younger ones especially. Um, I spent, just a little background on, on who I am, I spent 10 years in full-time paid ministry. I uh, served as a youth, young adult pastor uh, in Fremont. I don't know if you're familiar with Fremont area. Um, and towards the end of that season... We started a coffee company. You guys don't like specialty coffee at all up here, do you? <clears throat> so <laughs> I had discovered specialty coffee and started roasting coffee, and, and then it blossomed into a company uh, that we, you know, we didn't necessarily plan for it to go that way, but it just kind of grew. Um, so we started a coffee company. And as my season of full-time, like, vocational pastoral ministry was sort of coming to a close, I was making this transition, doing some consulting work and uh, coffee, um, transitioned right into that. In that, along with that, we, we homeschool five kids, and we have an outdoor lifestyle, and we like to do a lot of things. But um, early on... And when we were starting Devout, Devout Coffee, shameless plug, check us out on Instagram. Linen water's good, too. <laughs> um, early on, we, we started getting these crazy accusations against us. But a couple things kind of working against us. First of all, we named our cafe Devout Coffee. And I was a pastor, so everybody assumed that we were homophobic bigots. Uh, of course, right? So <laughs> we had uh, crazy accusations, like anonymous hate mail. People would, like, I, got, I received one time a, a gift card to our cafe that was cut up in pieces and sent to us with an anonymous letter as if we were hateful people. One-star Yelp reviews, those are not fun. And uh, the people that you review, they read those. And especially when you've never actually been there, yeah, uh, Yelp's an interesting thing. Um, 
What was really cool to see, though, through this process was that with all this, the accusations coming, uh, our unbelieving employees, some of which are in the LGBT community, actually came to uh, our defense for us. Like we, didn't, we never once had to defend our character or anything. They came to our defense on behalf of us. We're like, do you even know John and Stevie? They knew, our employees knew our standards. They knew what we believe. We weren't shy about that. But they also knew that we cared for them and that we were for them and that we loved them. Uh, and so they, we didn't even have to defend ourselves. They came right to our defense. Another employee, I was just thinking, uh, another employee that we had came, and he told me after working for us for about a year that uh, when he was first hired, he was really scared of me because he heard that I was a Christian, which is, I mean, that's odd, right? I mean, that's, uh, he's scared because I'm a Christian. He thought I was going to judge him or something. Uh, He worked for us for several years, and as he was transitioning out, he told me that he had never worked or been a part of a company where he felt more a part of a family and more a part, more at home than he did in his own home. So we'd created an environment where he actually felt like he was in a family. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying these things to get a pat on the back. I'm not like trying to like, I mean, I guess I am trying to inspire a little bit, but it's not like I'm, I'm up here trying to tell you, like, look how good I did. All I do is my job. I taste coffees, wonderful, amazing coffees. Uh, I manage people. Managing millennials is not the easiest thing in the world. That's why there's, like, books, several books written on it. <laughs> I deal with budgets and inventory, the normal business stuff. Uh, I just try to do that in light of the gospel. I try to do everyday stuff that I have to do to run my business in light of the gospel. Get situated here. So as I was thinking about this morning, uh, praying for you guys, what to share here. I kept coming to a quote in a verse. The verse we read this morning we opened with, 1 Peter 3, uh, specifically starting, uh, specifically verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it in gentleness and respect. Notice here the questioning that happens is in response. It's concerning the hope that is in you. Peter must be assured that the inward hope of the Christians, inward hope of Christians, should result in lives so noticeably different that unbelievers are prompted to ask questions. Your life, a believer's life, should be so noticeably marked by hope that it causes unbelievers to ask questions. 
Man, that, that's convicting. For me, read a verse like that and it's like, I don't know that the hope that's in me is that evident. I hope it is. It's not just that. He says, but when people ask you what's different, you're to answer in gentleness and respect. Man, Peter's like laying into sort of our Western apologetics uh, mindset here a little bit. Gentleness and respect. You guys, you guys do the Enneagram? Anybody? I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Gentleness and respect is not always uh, my default mode. Um, but Peter, think about Peter. This is the same guy who cut off a dude's ear. Gentleness and respect. He's learned something at this point about what it looks like. And here's the irony is that Christians are supposed to stand out and be distinct. You're not supposed to blend in. But when we do, and if you're mocked and criticized for it, you're tempted to mock and criticize back. And then we're no longer distinct because we're just like everybody else. So that's the challenge here, is that when you are criticized or mocked for your faith, for your stance, how do you respond? The quote that kept coming to mind is from somebody named Leslie Newbegin. Anybody familiar? Leslie Newbegin? Uh, Newbegin spent 40 years as a missionary in, in India. When he returned, he returned to England, his home, in 1974, somewhere in there. He was shocked uh, to see that the culture had completely shifted, culture had changed, but the church was still doing business as usual. The church had not changed, had not adapted and moved its, its method at all. He knew from being on the mission field that if the church was to be effective, it would have to start training people to think and act like missionaries on a mission field. This is what he said. This is the quote that kept standing out for me. He said, Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. Just take, take a second. Think through your last week. Are you living in a way, have you lived in a way causes people to ask questions for which you have to give them the gospel? Newbegin's point here, I think, was that we have to start thinking and acting like missionaries. I know the word missionary comes with some baggage. And just to clarify, I'm not saying you need to go get a bike and a name tag and start. I'm also not necessarily saying you need to move. I mean, necessarily. But I do want to focus three things today uh, that will help us start to think and act more like missionaries in our everyday life. So the first is good theology. Somebody said, I think it was A.W. Tozer, 10,000 lesser problems are solved 
with a proper or high view of God. Your theology matters. God is a missionary God. Mission flows out of his being. It's part of who he is. David Bosch said in his book, Transforming Mission, that mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but it's an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. I think we see this over and over in the way that God is revealed in the scriptures. If you think about going all the way back to Genesis 3, immediately after the fall, Genesis 3.8, let's read this. What do we find God doing? That immediately following the fall. And then he heard the sound of the Lord. This is Adam. They heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your sound in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Immediately after the fall, we see God pursuing his creation. And it never stopped. The way we see God revealed through scripture is over and over again. He is in pursuit. He's on a mission to redeem his people. He is relentless in his pursuit of us. He's a missionary and he's on a mission. This is what theologians call the Messio Dei. God has a mission. God creates, he calls, he rescues, he redeems, saves, restores, restrains. He grants and withholds all to the ends that he might be praised, that he might bring a people to himself. His desire, which he will achieve, is that the knowledge of his glory will cover the earth as the waters the sea. It's Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, 14. He's on a mission. His mission is that he might be glorified through the redemption of his people. His mission is that he might redeem a people so that he would receive glory. So what's our role in this mission? What do we what do we do as a part of this? John Mark Comer said it this way. Our job is to make the invisible God visible. To mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God <clears throat> by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. Jesus is the perfect picture of what it looks like for a human to image God. His entire life was a mission to bring the lost children home. Our question should always be, there's three questions really, uh, who is God? What did he do? And therefore, how can I image him rightly? In fact, I, I encourage you guys that I try to ask these questions regularly. As I'm stressed, making big decisions, who is God? What did he do? How can I image him rightly in this situation? 
when you're on your way to work, who is God? What did he do? How can I image him rightly? When you're standing in line at your favorite cafe, about to get your order mixed up, who is God? What did he do? How can I image him rightly? Second thing I think that will help us live and act like missionaries is good missiology. The mission of God is to bring healing and renewal to all the earth. This is what he's after. And he writes, says it like this, God's plan is not to abandon this world, the world which he said was very good. Somehow, I think we've, we've bought into a very dualistic worldview that places all the emphasis on the supernatural, spiritual realm, world, and that this, what happens here in your day-to-day life doesn't really matter. <clears throat> That's simply not the case with the story of Scripture. God will not abandon his creation. It's the good news. This is the gospel, that he is about the healing and renewal of the earth. Again, let's go all the way back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. What was God's commission to humanity originally? What, what was our challenge, right? What were we to do? In Genesis 1, 28, God said, God blessed them. And said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We call this the culture mandate. This is what humanity is here for. The idea is to take the raw materials that the Lord has given us and to create culture. I think. Tim Keller says it the best. I have a whole excerpt. It's so good. I took a whole big chunk from one of his books that I'm going to read to you. So it's a little story time action right now, okay? You guys like Tim Keller? Anybody? You guys there? This is yes? Okay. (laughs) Uh, So his book, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. If you work, if you have a job, it's a good book to read. Hopefully most of you have some form of employment. (laughs) He says, If we are to be God's image bearers with regards to creation, then we will carry out his pattern of work. His work is not hostile, so that it needs to be beaten down like an enemy. Rather, its potential is undeveloped, so it needs to be cultivated like a garden. So we are not to relate to work as a park ranger whose job is not to change their space but to preserve things as they are. Nor are we to pave over the garden of the created world to make it a parking lot. Thank God. No, we are to be gardeners who take an active stance towards their charge. They do not leave the land as it is. They rearrange it in order to make it most fruitful. They draw out potentialities for growth and development out of the soil. 
that dig up the ground and rearrange it with a, with a goal in mind to rearrange the raw materials of the garden so that it produces food, flowers, and beauty. And this is the pattern for all work. It is creative and assertive. It is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. He goes on. This pattern is found in all kinds of work. Farming takes physical materials of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings purpose to life. We take fabric and we make pieces of clothing. We push a broom and clean a room. When you use technology and harness the forces of electricity... We take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject. When we teach a couple how to resolve their relationship issues. When we take the simple materials, simple materials and turn it into a poignant work of art. We are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring out, bring order out of chaos... Whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative culture development. That's what we see in the culture commission in Genesis. This is what it is. Take the raw potentials, the things that the Lord has put in front of you, and make something beautiful. Partner with him in that element of creation. I was talking this through with Naomi, and she brought up a really good point. This is intrinsic with kids. If you put my kids in a room with Legos, they will build. In fact, if you put them on the beach, they will build. They will make a sandcastle. You put them in the backyard with mud, they will build. You give them sticks, they will whittle something. This, it's, it's normal. They'll make a sword or something. For some reason, I don't think that's always encouraged for us as adults. Our society kind of encourages you to be a part of this cog of a factory that produces goods and material. Just that you're one piece of the puzzle. But what if we began to see our role in the story of redemption as an active participant the culture mandate, that you and I have a piece to play in the story of redemption, of bringing renewal and restoration to all the earth by what you do day in and day out, that your job, your kids, your life, your hobbies, it all matters. This is our story. This is the story of redemption that you play a part in. It begins in a garden, and it was never intended to stay a garden. The story ends, Revelation 21 and 22, we're not going to read it, but it ends in a garden-like city. The city has culture, there's architectural design, there's shape, there's texture, there's beauty, there's glory. That's where the story is going, and you play a part in that. 
but you can't sit back and be a spectator. The story is the mission. And with that eternal perspective, with that in mind, all sorts of things that you do every day become a part of mission. Super practically, think about the way you spend your week, the rhythms of your week, your job. How can you view your job in light of the gospel? How can you do what you do day in and day out in light of the gospel? Your family. Family's kind of a given, right? As parents, we're discipling our children. How can we do family in light of the gospel? Extended family even. How can we be uh, a gospel witness to our our cousins and aunts and uncles, even the crazy ones? Some of you guys have crazy aunts. Your hobbies. Our kids are on a, uh, on a cycling team. I know it's, it's not like a traditional, they're not a baseball team or anything. They, they're on like a, a race cycling team. And uh, I just, just this week, I was in the car with their cycling coach, and I had this great conversation with him. He's, he's somebody I would say is far from God. But he grew up in a Catholic home and... and uh, says, he's, he, was, he brought it up. He's like, I am surrounded by Christians right now. Part of that is because, I mean, we're on the cycling team and we're, <laughs> we're bringing people with us on mission. And uh, he, so he brought it up and I asked him sort of his, his faith story. And he, so he grew up in a strict Catholic home and he said that he can't do it because they practice one thing at church and something else at home. And it was so starkly different, the distinction between what they professed at church and practiced at home. So we get this opportunity, and our kids get this opportunity to be, he's, he's the coach, and we are in his life now, and we're bringing people along with us that get to be a picture of what it looks like to practice the teachings of Jesus in a consistent fashion. And so he's seeing it. He's like, I'm surrounded by Christians. <laughs> They're all around me. I could, I could go on with examples with hobbies. We, we do 4-H, and I was just having a conversation yesterday. We're doing a beekeeping thing with our kids, and I was just having a conversation about the gospel yesterday with, with uh, one of the parents out there. That stuff matters. Get a hobby, have some fun but do it in light of the gospel. So it's, it's, I think there can be this thing that happens where we start talking about living missionally, and uh, that just basically gives you license to go have fun. And I think you do need to go have fun. But do it with intentionality. It's not missional if it's not intentional, if there's not a gospel element behind it. The point here is that it's not just like some organized church evangelism program that is mission. It's the everyday stuff of life, what you do day in and day out. That is and should be mission. Mission is to participate in the very life of God. If you're an accountant, a barista, 
an engineer, a stay-at-home mom, whatever you do in your normal rhythms of life, you have a part to play in the story of redemption. We're all called to make disciples. You don't get off on that. That's not something you get to put off on the pastors and elders of your church. You are called to make disciples. Simple, plain put. Something that's really encouraging, for me at least, as I think about making disciples, that process starts before somebody makes a faith declaration. You are making disciples of the people that are involved in your life on a day-to-day basis. In the way that you demonstrate the gospel, you are teaching them what Jesus is like. That should be both encouraging and convicting. Your children, the way that you live your life on a day-to-day basis is discipling them. And so the examples that you make is showing them a picture of who God is. The third thing that will help us to think and act like missionaries is good ecclesiology. Here's the point. The way God wants to bring healing and renewal to the earth is through a community. It's through his church. You are blessed to be a blessing. The church is a means to an end. I've heard it said this way. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. Sorry to say... Uh, Christianity is not all about you. You don't have... <laughs> we, we have this, this, this language of like, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm sorry, he's not your personal Lord and Savior. I mean, he is to a certain extent. <laughs> but he's not. When you make a profession of faith, when you come to Christ, you are now a part of a family a community of faith, a community of disciples and apprentices of Jesus that are all learning to follow and be like Jesus. It's not just about you. You can't do it alone. You're not ever intended to do it alone. Jesus didn't send his disciples out solo, ever. They always went together, or in two-by-twos at least. The church is a community of disciples that partner with Jesus to see his will accomplished on the earth. We want to have this perspective that God has chosen to accomplish his work, his mission, on the earth in partnership with us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3. Uh, We'll start in verse 8. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God's plan is to, through the church, make his plan known. And bring glory to the earth. 
So here's sort of what I believe. The way of Jesus, this journey of discipleship, it should permeate, it should influence and shape every facet of your life. It all matters. Somehow we have this idea that our faith and our religion can be relegated to this like Sunday morning gathering, maybe a midweek if we're lucky, uh, and we're good. We have the name badge sort of, we're Christian, and we're good. That's just not the case. The way of Jesus should permeate and influence and shape every aspect of your life. Tim Chester says this, the church is not an event, it's a community. Mission also is not an event, it's a lifestyle. And we are called to live ordinary life with gospel intentionality. And everything you do, God is present. Everywhere you go, you are a child of God. You are a servant of Jesus. You are sent one by the Spirit. It all counts. Everything counts. Christ plays in the everyday stuff of life. A while back, I was, I think as I was transitioning sort of from this vocational paid ministry role, and I found myself day in and day out in inventory and mundane business things, I remember having this thought of like Jesus before his ministry time. Like Jesus was alive for 30 years or so before we start reading about what he did. So I began to ponder, like, what was that? What, what's going on there? Jesus lived sort of ordinary life, ordinary Jewish life in a little town. He worked a normal job, did normal everyday stuff. And what's amazing to me is that that was the perfect will of the Father for him. It's not like uh, that was just some like thing he had to do to be prepared for his ministry, and it was all about those three years. We know that Jesus did nothing on his own accord. He did only what he saw the Father doing, which included, I believe, those first 30 years of his life where he was working a normal, everyday job, doing everyday life. For me, that's super encouraging. When you feel like your life's mundane and just like normal every day, yeah, and that's the perfect, sometimes that's the perfect will of God for you. Now do it with gospel intentionality. Do it in light of the gospel with a purpose. As a disciple, as Jesus saturates our lives, as he begins to change us, that your life should change. Often that change is not what we do, but it's how we do it. The focus of our lives begin to shift from ourself to God and his mission. Instead of serving ourselves and building our own kingdoms, we bless others and we seek Jesus' kingdom. In other words, we live the rhythms of everyday life intentionally for the gospel. Gospel intentionality has to do with doing the ordinary things of life submitted to the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus. 
So as we're going to transition back into worship, go into the time of communion, I just want to challenge you to reflect. Reflect on your week, that your last year. This is the beginning of a new year. It's a good time to begin to practice some reflection and some proactive planning. What I found, at least for myself, is that if I don't intentionally make a plan to uh, to make a change, nothing happens. And so, it's a good practice for me, at least, to actually make a plan to like, okay, this week I'm going to go and I'm going to get lunch with this person, and I'm going to do it intentionally, or I'm going to spend time. We're going to have this family over, and we're going to spend time with them. So as we transition sort of in this time of worship, I, my encouragement for you is to, would be to take some time and reflect on how is your life causing people, unbelievers, to ask questions for which the gospel is the only answer? How is your normal everyday rhythms reflecting the gospel? How are we displaying the love of Jesus through our normal everyday mundane rhythms that we practice every day? And to set intentional plans, focused efforts to live as a missionary in light of the gospel. The elements are, of communion are here. Now, I always encourage as you practice communion, this is a great opportunity. We do this as part of, part of a rhythm. As we gather, rehearse the gospel. Tell the story to yourself. This is what I do. As I take communion, I, I tell myself the story again and again of the cross and the resurrection. And I rehearse it with the elements so that when the opportunity is presented, it's, it's ready, it's fluid. I know the story. That's part of what this practice is about. So let me pray for real quick, and then we'll, we'll transition. Father, I thank you for this community. God, I ask that you would make us a missionary people, that the church of the Bay Area, that we would be known as a people who live in light of the gospel. God, specifically for this community, for refuge, I ask that you would mark them with gospel intentionality, that you would have your way, that you would lead and guide through the everyday rhythms of life, and they would remember you in the day in and day out. In Jesus' name.